The following presentation is brought to you by The Realm Network The Bob Seska Show Presented by BubbleGenius.com Hey folks, Bob here with this week's Bubble Genius Showcase Item of the Week If the Twitter toddler in the White House has you completely stressed out Head on over to BubbleGenius.com And pick up their exclusive Republican voodoo doll Featuring the face and body of our cartoon dictator this item is only available for a limited time, so get yours now. Only $25 at BubbleGenius.com, with a third of the proceeds going to support the campaigns of resistance candidates across the country. Plus, if you use our promo code BOBC at checkout, you'll get 15% off your entire order only at BubbleGenius.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from resistance headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. You like Peter Paul and Mary? Yes, I do. I'm a big fan. It's a great song. Yeah, one of my favorites. Who would have thought it wasn't really about a dragon, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, the whole drug thing? No, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Some people uh, think that to puff the magic dragon means they're really to, um, to smoke, uh, smoke a marijuana cigarette. Well, puff's just the name of the boy's magical dragon. Right. Are you a pothead, Farker? No, no. What? No, 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 Jack. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I pass on grass all the time. We could not talk or talk forever and still find things to not talk about. The Bob Seska Show. Happy New Year. Hi, everybody. It's just the most insane couple of days that I've ever seen in politics. So let's get going. Right? Hello, Bob. Oh, hi. Hi, Rachel. Hey. Happy New Year, Rachel. Uh, lots to talk about today. It's Trump Crisis Day 350, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> After a couple of weeks off, I completely forget how to do this. I swear to God, I don't know what I'm doing now. Okay, without any further ado, let's bring in Jackie Schechter, all right? Here she is. Hello world, is the news that she's bringing. Come on, get Jackie. All my stories is what she's singing. We bring you Jackie. Come on, it's Jackie. Yeah, this is Jackie Schechter. Hi, Jackie. Hey, Bob. Read about any good books lately? <laughs> you know, I, the last couple of days, I said it right there at the top of the show, the last couple of days, I, I'm I'm just scrambling. Like, 
holy hell, we're going to have to do a show. Today's show is going to have to last until Labor Day. I uh. mean, <laughs> by the time we wrap up today, it's going to be like next year already because there are so many things, just way too many things. So I've come up with a, a, a device. I've, I've wheeled mm-hmm. it here into my studio. It's a big hulking piece of casino equipment. And okay. I've, I've called it the slot machine of insanity. And what it's going to do <laughs> is I'm going I'm to pull the big lever and it's going to tell us where we can pull possibly begin all and, right uh, i'm so down i'm just gonna reach over and see if i can uh, grab this lever oh, all right. uh, here we are. oh trump russia we're gonna start with trump russia oh, okay. okay well we're gonna see i want to do this right off the bat uh here on our first show in 2018 and then we're going to get into Steve Bannon versus Donald Trump and this Michael Wolf book, which is, that's the meat and potatoes of today's show. But I don't want to neglect what's going no. on. We with- need a little amuse-bouche. We need a little, yeah. a little appetizer. Right, exactly. So, and because you, uh, you are from investigaterussia.org, we need to do this because there are so many new bombshells in the uh, Trump-Russia investigation and everything going on there. And I think the main thing uh, on the agenda today, Jackie, is that Rod Rosenstein and Christopher Ray, who's now Trump's new FBI director, went uh, to the Hill yesterday and met with Paul Ryan all of a sudden. And, and we're, not, we're not quite sure why specifically they did it, Except to know that it was about Russia, it was about Devin Nunes, and it possibly was about this letter that Devin Nunes sent to the Justice Department. Now, you might have new information, so jump in at any time, but, I, but from what I understand, Devin Nunes sent a letter to the Justice Department demanding transcripts of interviews that Mueller did with various witnesses, and this is obviously Devin Nunes fishing for information that he's going to, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, take a couple of cars and scoot on up to the White House and right. s- deliver them inside yeah. information or something. And uh, and I think this was, this is my uh, analysis based on, uh, well, based, based on what NBC News has been reporting, which is that that this was about uh, Rod Rosenstein and Christopher Ray going to Paul Ryan's. You know, get your guys in order. Get the, this guy Nunez is driving us nuts. Could you just p- please try to <laughs> control? Well, he threatened it. to subpoena the Justice Department and Ray and Sessions yeah. at one point, hold them in contempt of Congress, is right. what he had threatened. I mean, Nunez is a is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people forget that Nunez was part of the Trump transition team. Yeah. So he's not just the head of the House Intelligence Committee, but he also was a diehard Trump supporter oh, and yeah. on the transition team. So it's entirely possible that he's privy to whatever went down uh, with regards to this uh, Russia investigation uh, or in terms of, of what could have possibly gone down inside the transition. Uh, there's no other logical explanation for why he's willing to put himself out there for the president. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I, the, the loyalty there is strange. Uh, why he's willing to scoot off to the White House in the middle of the night to try to find evidence to back up President <laughs> Trent's weird tweet that he was being <laughs> surveilled or wiretapped. And then... Right. You know, to to keep his hand in the pot, even though he claimed he was going to recuse himself, uh, even though he put Mike Conaway and Trey Gowdy uh, up in in front of this investigation, that he continued to issue subpoenas single handedly uh, to try to get information and mm-hmm. and to try to derail the House intelligence investigation, to not focus on what happened 
with election interference and possible Trump collusion, but rather to focus on the dossier and Fusion GPS and try to now get into whatever the FBI has got going on. I mean, he's doing everything he possibly can to attempt to derail this investigation. Uh, And he's not even being subtle about it. And that's the crazy part is that, you know, there's a whole bunch of members of Congress who are likely to get scooped up in this when push (laughs) comes to shove. And Nunes is first in line as far as I'm concerned. I would also take a look at Rohrbacher and DeSantis. Oh, yeah, Uh, Rohrbacher, definitely. Yeah, but you know, Warbarker's an interesting character because he's been pro-Putin for a very long time. Yeah. So so his love for Russia isn't new. But this this loyalty to Trump and running off to the White House and you know, Jim Jordan, I would put in that category. So Nunes, DeSantis, Jim Jordan, Gowdy, yes and no. I, there's moments of Gowdy craziness. Uh, but there's a there's a handful of them that are standing mm-hmm. behind the, the administration and it makes you wonder Either you know what do they have in it? You know, right? What's the what's the payoff for them? Or <laughs> yeah. what are they what are they protecting themselves from? And that's the curious side of this. The more reading I do, and the more research I do, and the more posting I do, these are the guys who who make you wonder what's going on. Oh, yeah. At least yeah. on the the congressional side of this. This is so uh, the Putin talons are so dug deeply into uh, you know uh, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue right now, and and it, it's. It, it seems clear to me, and, and you kind of touched on this, Jackie, which is that obviously a lot of these guys are both being paid by Putin in the same way that Paul Manafort. I mean, this is just my assumption that, that Paul, mm-hmm. Man, you know, Paul Manafort got this huge deal through uh, Oleg Deripaska where he's getting paid. Well, it was through <laughs> Konstantin Kalimnik. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty well after a break. I'm still coming up yeah, with the Russian Yeah, no, name. you still got your names. Did you practice? Is that how you spent your break? Yes, I did. I, st- I just sat with those... Uh, Rosetta Cl- Stone, Russian name pronunciator? <laughs> yeah, no, it was more like Clockwork Orange where my eyes were glued go. open. Uh, but but Name the Sergey. Name him. <laughs> so yeah, the six. The, let's see, is there a Sergey involved? No, I don't think, I don't see a Sergey involved with this particular line of reasoning. But, you know, Paul Manafort going through his uh, his man in uh, Kiev, who is uh, Konstantin yeah. Kalimnik, uh, struck a deal with Oleg Deripaska, right? I mean, I may be confusing things, but I think this is the deal where then Paul Manafort was getting paid a, a lot of money in order to promote Russian interests inside the United States. And it seems to me that it's fairly obvious that there are some other characters deeply ensconced in, in both uh, the executive and legislative branches of government who are also getting paid to promote <laughs> Russia. And in this well, case, it sure it's seems that way. Devin yeah, Nunes. Least, and, yeah, yeah. yeah there's and, uh, something there's something going on there. I mean, I, you know, there's no evidence to that, but it right. You know, there's only so so far you're willing to go for people who aren't relatives. You know, it's oh, like, yeah, why yeah. are you? Why are you willing to carry this water uh, when it's increasingly looking like tainted water? It yep. doesn't doesn't make sense. You're not going to come out smelling good on this one. So the question becomes why? What do you personally have vested in it? Uh, where is this coming from? Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, it harkens back to, I think it's important to point out what's going on with Fusion GPS and the dossier. Right, because over break we learned that it wasn't in fact the dossier that sparked the FBI investigation. Right. But it was George Papadopoulos's drunken conversation <laughs> with an Australian <laughs> diplomat in London, yeah. and that tipped off. You know, when the emails became, when Clinton emails or the DNC emails became public, then the Australians went to the U.S. and went, "Yeah, we heard about this a couple months ago. You may mm-hmm. want to look into this guy Papadopoulos." Yeah, that sparked the FBI investigation. The dossier was separate, right? That was Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer who was doing work, taking a look at 
Trump and Russia and his ongoing connections over the years. Uh, and he was so concerned personally by what he found mm-hmm. that he went to an old contact in Rome, an FBI contact in Rome, and said, hey, this is important. Like, yeah. You guys should be taking a look at this. But that was totally separate from the FBI's investigation that was emanating out of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important, I think, to look at the details of that. Uh, and Fusion GPS, look, I mean, those guys, Peter Fritsch and, and Glenn Simpson in their op-ed in the New York Times, blew the whole dossier thing out of the water because they said, you know, look, we know the dossier wasn't the impetus for the FBI investigation, which the New York Times itself confirmed with the Papadopoulos news over the break. Mm -hmm. And they turned around and said, look, we only, we hired Christopher Steele and we gave him one question. Like what's behind all this Trump Russia stuff? Like go forth, right? They didn't, they didn't give him any any specific questions to answer other than that. They didn't give him any guidance. They just said, look, there's something here. Go look into it. And and Steele didn't pay any sources. He just worked his information and, and his sources that he has from years of being mm-hmm. well-connected in Russia. He put together a series of memos. Those memos then became the dossier, but it's raw intelligence. Some yep. of it has been uh, verified. Some of it has not. Um, but the majority of it that has been uh, looked into with any significance has turned out to be mostly accurate or yeah. at least close enough to send up giant red warning flags. Uh, and the Fusion GPS guys turned around and said, look, we spent 21 hours testifying before three congressional committees. We want to look over the testimony that you're going to release to make sure, A, that it's accurate, and B, that you're not putting anything out there that's uh, that's damaging information to other clients, mm-hmm. right? Because the congressional investigators have been trying to go through G- Fusion GPS's bank records. Yep. Uh, and they've been trying to out other clients. They've been really shady with what they're trying to subpoena from Fusion GPS and their banks. Uh, but they said, look, as long as we review it, make sure it's accurate and that you're not outing anything that's proprietary information, we want you to release all of this testimony. And if you do, here's what the public will see. Yeah. Uh, and that was a very uh, revealing op-ed that they put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it totally blows the dossier argument on the Republican side. Those are were uh, uh, fighting against the Russian investigation out of the water. Yeah. Because it... It verifies everything that we heard from the New York Times that Papadopoulos, not the dossier, was the mm. impetus for the FBI, which then makes Nunes's request all yeah. the more irrelevant. <laughs> right back to Nunes, yeah, exactly, yeah. because he was, you know, Nunes is still trying to uh, d- trying to play along with that uh, that line of attack. Which He's is the trying dossier to say that the yeah that the dossier is the reason why the yeah. FBI started wiretapping or, or started listening in on Carter Page and started listening in on Manafort, and he's basically trying to discredit the entire investigation. Investigation and putting it on the dossier. Yep. And now we've learned that the dossier was not the start of the investigation, and so it's totally moot. Yeah. Uh, and it leaves these guys up a creek. The problem is they go on cable news and they scream and holler, and they don't let anyone else get a word in edgewise. <laughs> And, and so it seems like you know nothing that you come out with that's true matters anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys keep chasing one red herring after another that they've made up. I mean, they concoct right. these things, and now they're on to the deep state coup thing. But prior Ugh. to that, was this was trying to to hit the dossier, and what they're discovering is that the dossier, at least at this point, is pretty foolproof. Uh, and and the other thing that they're missing while they're pursuing all of these false leads and these made-up narratives that they're trying to concoct is that really when it comes right down to it, and that was actually in the Glenn Simpson op-ed, uh, the Fusion GPS op-ed over the break, is that 
these guys are going to get completely blocked because they're all looking at collusion like, oh, was there collusion? I don't think there was collusion. There was no collusion. And Trump in his New York Times interview said no collusion in the excerpts alone. 16, 16 times. 16 times. Sounded like a chatty It's very Catholic. Rain Man, right? No collusion. No collusion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it was one paragraph alone had something like six or seven instances of no collusion. At the very least, we can say this about Trump. He's really good at message discipline. Uh, and that was n- no collusion 16 times in that interview. But what they're gonna, what's going to happen here is they're going to get blindsided mm-hmm. by not only obstruction of justice coming out of Conspiracy. the Mueller investigation. Yeah, but they're also going to get blindsided by money laundering. And this was a key takeaway from the Glenn Simpson op-ed, yes. which is we suggested investigators look into the bank records of Deutsche Bank and others that were funding Mr. Trump's businesses. Congress appears uninterested in that tip. Reportedly, ours are the only bank records the House Intelligence Committee has subpoenaed. That's so, extraordinary. Yeah, so they're looking at Fusion GPS's bank records, but not any of the Deutsche Bank. But, however, we do know that Mueller already has. Didn't Mueller subpoena the Deutsche Bank records uh, to go yes. through and look for, for where, try to find the source of, of Kushner's money, find the source of Trump's money, yes. and, and try to unravel all of that? So, Yeah, I mean, it's obvious if you go back into the history of Trump's connections with Russia, I mean, he's... His businesses aren't just funded by Russian money, as his sons have so eloquently revealed uh, at two separate times, that they have all the money they need from Russia. Mm. But Trump's real estate has been, you know, the the apartments in his buildings have been purchased by Russians. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of Russian money that's being uh, poured into these uh, these buildings that no one's living in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these, they, they... put money into these apartments and then nobody moves into them. Uh, Now you're hearing about this, not just in New York, but there was that whole building in Panama um, that there's the, uh, the Palm beach mansion Mm -hmm. that Trump bought uh, at a discount, never lived in threw a coat of paint on and then like more than doubled the price. And then somehow with the fertilizer King, Dmitry Ryobolev, yeah. See, see what I'm able to come up with. All right. Yeah. Well, he comes in and he buys it at an extraordinary price. He never lives in it either. By the way, it had a tremendous mold problem, uh, and he never moves <laughs> into course. it. And yeah, and then he's trying to sell it off in parcels. Um, yeah. But you know, that's the kind of thing. It's like you, you blow that kind of money. I mean, this, these are incredibly wealthy Russian oligarchs. Yeah. But uh, you know, you you throw that kind of money into a crap piece of property. Uh, that's got a mold problem that nobody can live in that miraculously more than doubled in price in the course of, I think, a, a year and a half or two years. And you got to look at, you know, where's that money coming from and why is it being uh, why is it being laundered yeah. <laughs> through that property? I mean, and these are the kinds of things. I mean, Mueller's no dummy. And the guys that are working with him are really smart investigators. So this kind of stuff's going to come out in the wash. And, and I think that it's... Uh, It'll be interesting when we finally figure out what's going on, but I, I don't think they're going to give up. I think they'll keep going until they, they figure it out. And frankly, all the attacks on the FBI and the DOJ, I mean, that's not doing Trump any favors either. No, certainly like these, not. It doesn't make these guys, you know, you're not going to cut him a break when he's attacking the very foundation of what you do and what you believe in. Yeah, exactly. Here's another excerpt from the uh, the op-ed. We told Congress that from Manhattan to Sunny Isles Beach, Florida, and from Toronto to Panama, we found widespread evidence that Mr. Trump and his organization had worked with a wide array of dubious Russians and arrangements that often raised questions about money laundering. Likewise, those mm-hmm. deals don't seem to interest Congress. So this is all like, this is the stuff we found, and this is why Congress isn't, or this is... 
Congress isn't doing a goddamn thing about anything we're we're bringing to them, and and why? Why is that? Why aren't they? And you know, part of it you can say party politics, but also I think a lot of this has to do with as we launch the show. It is a lot of these guys, Nunes and Rohrbacher and and all the rest, DeSantis. They're all you know in the pocket of uh, of the Kremlin, and uh, and that's uh, another explanation as well, to they're why they're in the pocket of something. They're I mean, in the pocket I, of know, something. There, yeah. there, are, there aren't any specific ties that have been evidenced yet. But yeah. There's something going on there that those guys are willing to try to hinder the investigation. Yeah. And this isn't just a matter of like allowing their agenda to get through. Like this is deeper than that for those guys. If you're willing to put yourself on television screaming and hollering a bunch of lies to just try to protect Donald Trump, like something else is going on there. Mm. And, and it's not clear yet. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they weren't wrapped up, and especially Nunes. I mean, DeSantis also, you know, the, the interesting thing about DeSantis is that the president came out on Twitter and endorsed him for governor of Florida. Right. Uh, and people were like, huh, who's this dude? And then you go back and you go, oh, wait, DeSantis is the guy who tried to introduce an amendment that would cut Mueller's, in, Mueller's investigation off at the knees. Like, he, he tried to introduce legislation that said that Mueller wouldn't be allowed to investigate anything prior I think it was prior to when the president ran for office. Yep. And right? And so he basically said that the investigation couldn't go back any farther than 2015, mid-2015, right. which would then cut off any access that Mueller as investigators would have looking into finances. And we shouldn't forget, um, too, remember Kevin McCarthy's joke uh, stepping out of that uh, mm-hmm. that caucus meeting was that uh, that Putin only pays two people, Trump and Rohrbacher. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that, was, that yeah. was sort of a joke based in truth from what we understand. And of course, that's, that's as close as we have to act actual some sort of actual admission that Rohrbacher's up to something all you need to do is look at what Rohrbacher has said and what he's done and we kind of have a sense of where his loyalties yeah, are Yeah Rohrbacher's a weird bird though right yeah. cuz he's he's not Rohrbacher's just been weird for a long time. It just hasn't mm. been in the spotlight because we haven't been paying attention to it. Uh, but Rohrbacher, I mean, he's he met with Veselnitskaya and um, Akhmetshin and, and and all of these people. I mean, he's this is not he's the guy who tried to to screen an anti Magnitsky actor, anti Bill Browder um, documentary on Capitol Hill. I mean, this oh, right. has been oh he's been carrying water for Putin for a very long time. This is not new. And the, I guess the FBI went to him and said, hey, they're trying to turn you, and he laughed it off i mean mm-hmm. I, you know i don't i Robacher's is a whole nother entity mm-hmm. um and i don't know how much influence he's having in this particular uh arena but he does have a connection to flynn uh so there is that uh and they're interested in knowing what he's talked to flynn about yeah um, well i mean what it comes down to for me jackie is is ultimately when you hear people like uh Rohrbacher and trump and all of people the people around trump and trump supporters certainly uh defending Russia and Putin so vocally, I begin to wonder because imagine people defending Al Qaeda and bin Laden after 9-11. Yep, Yep. it's very similar in that regard. Yep, we've been attacked. It's a different kind of attack, but we've absolutely been attacked. Right. Uh, and it's in cyberspace, and it's hard to see, and it's not the same as, as you know, obviously. I'm not even, like, remotely comparing it to the tragedy of 9-11. And, and I will we'll preface this by saying as somebody who was in New York on 9-11, yeah. nothing compares to that. So I don't want anyone to get on me about making that comparison. What I'm saying, though, is is you're in line with, with saying that, you know, if someone were to defend al-Qaeda or to defend ISIS or to, de- like, it's the same kind of thing. He won't say a bad word about Putin, 
who was using cyber tools to attack our democracy yeah. and to fundamentally attempt to unwind who we are as a nation and what we believe in. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and, and that's something worth standing up to at the very least. And the president's not willing to do that. Well, you know, I, I, I'm willing to go there. I mean, I'll speak for myself and say, look, I mean, while 9-11 had mass casualties and, and, uh, and, and major landmarks uh, destroyed in the process and, and certainly has changed our way of life, I think to a certain extent, this attack by Russia, which is the, the first real serious attack uh, by Russia against the United States, at least post-Vietnam, and, and that has not necessarily, while the, the original attack itself, I mean, the attack on our democracy w- did not necessarily uh, generate any ca- direct casualties. Certainly the election of Donald Trump has created casualties, whether in Puerto Rico or, or elsewhere, people uh, losing their health care and so mm-hmm. forth. That people are going to die because Donald Trump was elected to the presidency of the United States. And, and yeah. that was a, as a direct result of, of Russian meddling and the Trump uh, campaign uh, colluding with Russia in that endeavor. And so I do think that that there is a degree of seriousness that allows for a comparison of the the Russian attack on our democracy versus the bin Laden attack on uh, on 9/11. So, uh, so I don't I don't think there's any reason to apologize for making that that metaphor. Yeah, that I comparison. mean it's just hard, right? Yeah. I mean there's a there's a distinction to be made between the immediate <clears throat> loss of life, yes. uh, you know, in in that tragic manner and. But you know what? It's six of one, half a dozen of the other in yeah, terms of yeah, yeah. of you know trying to parse out whether we should or should not be comparing it. I, I think that what we do need to talk about is that we are under a different type of attack mm-hmm. from a different type of adversary. It's a long, slow grind, right? Oh, yeah. This is the kind of thing where uh, Putin is is, and it's hard for people to wrap their brains around. I mean, I, I will even admit that you know when I first started looking at this and, and joined on to investigate Russia, that it was like, okay, where's the urgency? of this and how do we get people to pay attention and why does it matter and where like you struggle with that a little bit because it's not an immediate food on the table roof over my head yeah it doesn't have that day-to-day urgency for a lot of people but i think we need to understand that the fabric of who we are as a society and the things that make us so great um, it's part of our democracy and the way that our system operates and having a free press and having free and fair elections um, and, and having the opportunity to, to demonstrate without repercussion. And the things that make this country special uh, are the kinds of things that Putin would love to undermine and, and unwind and dismantle yep. um, because it makes us weak and it makes him stronger. And he doesn't have the same military capacity that we do. So he's trying to do it in a way that's less expensive mm-hmm. but just as disruptive. And that's, that's right. via cyber. Also, don't discount the fact that these hackers also have the ability to take down things like our banking system. Oh yeah, and our power plants. And you know, people get upset when their Wi-Fi goes out, right? Imagine if you're the entire sort of fabric uh, of what is now runs via the internet uh, and. Uh, everything that's online in our world all of a sudden uh, goes out of commission because we've been hacked. Yep. I mean, that there's a capability there that I think people are unaware of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very skeptical uh, by uh, anyone, by anyone who tries to encourage hacking in some way because I know that malicious hackers, as far as I'm concerned, are the terrorists of the future. I mean, malicious hackers are the ones who are, you know, exposing people's personal information online and, and mm-hmm. hacking into our, our banking records records and our credit card accounts and so on and they're doing all of 
this damage. And certainly now they're in the process of interfering with our democracy from overseas safe havens funded by uh, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin and other bad actors. And so uh, this is something that we're going to see more and more often. I think we're going to see fewer actual physical terrorist attacks and more of this kind of crap going on, which is actually in some ways more pernicious when it comes to affecting our democracy. I mean, certainly 9-11, those terrorist attacks caused a, a backlash in terms of, well, let's now we have to take our shoes off at the airports and all of these things. At least we responded. Yeah. But we, I mean, yeah, exactly. we got a president who won't even admit exactly. it. That, I mean, if you want to make that comparison, it's like yeah. the World Trade Center going down and the president going, I don't know that it really went down. I mean, maybe it went <laughs> yeah. down. I, you know, maybe it's a magic trick and it right. just magically disappeared. And maybe, I mean, it's one of these, he's not even admitting that it happened. Yep. Yep, so, you know, he's not willing to say that we actually there was actually interference. He's not willing to say that there were bots and trolls. He's not willing to say that Putin did anything wrong or the Kremlin was behind any of it. And so that we're not doing anything to prepare for the next mm-hmm. step. It's like we're not willing. There's a shoe bomber. and We're not willing to take our shoes off because we're not even admitting that there was a shoe bomber. <laughs> exactly. The shoe bomber was a hoax. Right. That's I mean, that's the- hoax. it was all by the Democrats oh, to try to. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. So now uh, the other thing that uh, we want to uh, loop into uh, the Trump Russia conversation, which is this Manafort lawsuit against Mueller and Rosenstein, and and oh, the this is Department I mean this is a PR stunt. This isn't. There's nothing there. Yeah, it's, but it's it's so dumb. I mean, this goes back to this <laughs> the stupid Watergate thesis that uh, John Oliver brought up uh, a while back, which is that they continue to make these dumb, dumb moves, thinking that somehow yeah. they're going to get away with this, and and it's just. All it does is make things worse for them. So Trump is constantly making things worse for himself. And now here's Paul Manafort, like a stupid goddamn idiot, suing over jurisdiction of the uh, special counsel or the, the purview of what the special counsel was yeah. tasked with investigating. And what's going to happen is the judge is going to go, well, no, it's okay if he does that. It's okay if he looks into banking records and other matters tangentially related to the Russia investigation. So, yeah, that's fine. And that's, and so. It's exhausting. I mean, it's yeah. in black and white in the order from Rosenstein. I mean, what he's arguing is that Rosenstein didn't have the right to, to mandate that authority, which is bogus right. and ridiculous. But it's right there. I mean, he's, he's basically, it says he's allowed to look into Russian interference and possible collusion, anything mm-hmm. that emanates from that. Yep. Uh, you know, and anything that uh, he's and he's willing, he's legally allowed to bring charges. I mean, he's he's got the mandate. Uh, and then, frankly, I mean, the legal experts that I've read on this, uh, and you know, obviously Natasha Bertrand at Business Insider does some of the best work on this. She's I, the girl's a machine. I've told her I, I don't believe that she actually <laughs> she's either not human or doesn't sleep because <laughs> the amount of information she's been able to dig up has been tremendous. If you're not following all of her stuff, you should be. Um, but she's, and frankly, like I love to promote others, like good women, right? I mean, she's young Mm -hmm. and she's aggressive and she's doing great work. Um, but she, um, you know, one of the things she did was talk to a bunch of legal experts about this and they basically said it's nonsense and it's ridiculous. And frankly, no judge is going to turn around and go, yeah, all of the shady legal stuff you did, even though it's out of the realm of, you're arguing it's out of the realm of this prosecutor, but you think we're just going to ignore it? Like, (laughs) you know, it's not going to go away. Like, even, even if he had a leg to stand on, which he doesn't, uh, you know, even if he did, there's nobody that's going to turn around and go, okay, so we're supposed to ignore all of the shady stuff you've been doing since 2005. Yeah. Okay. uh, Yeah. And exactly. Plus, plus the very nature of what Manafort is doing here in trying to limit the scope of the special prosecutor, he's actually inadvertently expanding the scope of the special prosecutor and make and, and giving legal sanction, uh, judicial sanction 
to that the the purview of Robert Mueller. So basically, in in trying to restrict that purview, he's actually uh, allowing Mueller to do those things that are going to more likely. I think it's more likely that Mueller's going to dig up all and, and will hand down indictments along these lines on money laundering and obstruction of justice. Probably uh, more damaging to Trump than any sort of collusion charges. Uh, that we're going to see these other two things. I think take precedent over the uh, the idea of Trump colluding because it's so difficult to 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 necessarily prove that at least compared with proving money laundering and obstruction of justice and I still think those are the two things that are going to bring Trump down uh, more so than the conspiracy charges so and and Mueller's just hand I mean uh, uh, Manafort's just handing Mueller that that gift and and right. I, I don't I don't get exactly I mean. It, I cannot see for the life of me the strategy behind why Manafort is doing this. I mean, I guess I can see, well, maybe he's trying to like drag a pardon out of Trump by. Well, that's maybe. what, yeah. I mean, that's the, the it's, if you set up enough doubt, then it lays the groundwork yeah. for Trump to be able to introduce a pardon to say that the, it overstepped its boundaries and he should be pardoned. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's the only explanation. It's like, how do we set Trump up to pardon and give him some kind of background to work with? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an interesting, I don't know if we need to take a break or we can keep going because I've got a whole Roger Stone, Manafort, Trump thing I want to tell you about. <laughs> All right. That's fascinating. Well, let's, let's take a break. And I want to come back to obstruction of justice. I want to come back to the Roger Stone thing that uh, you're talking about. Uh, because mainly, I think they're, I think the scope of obstruction of justice should expand to other players here. Not just Trump and the people around him. But I do think that Devin Nunes and, and guys like that... Uh, are actively obstructing, ju- obstructing justice. And I think Jeff Sessions is too with the appointment of these new U.S. attorneys, especially the one in the Southern District of New York taking over from yeah. Freak Barrar. So that's that's a whole other thing. But first, we've got to talk about uh, our Patreon page. But... Ah! Yeah, yeah. It's time. Uh, it's time. And, and let's make it our New Year's resolution to get us up to our Wednesday show goal. Now, what keeps happening, okay. though, is that... Uh, as soon as we advance up, we get to up to around 80% of our goal, and okay. then Patreon goes through and finds that some people haven't, their their cards have been declined, or they haven't put oh. in the right credit card numbers. There are glitches with some people's payment methods. So what ends up happening is that we, we take uh, three steps forward, two steps back, and it ends up delaying this a little bit. So we're seeing that a little bit right now with our Patreon goals, okay? So... What we really want to do is overwhelm that process with all kinds of new signups. My goal, of course, is to bring in enough new subscribers to add a Wednesday show. Uh, If if everyone listening right now signed up for just $1 a month, we'd far exceed that goal. Also, Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, that seems doable. I I absolutely think it is. It's a dollar. You waste more on that in the gym membership that you sign up for and don't use after January. Yeah, no shit. I mean, it's a dollar. You don't even (laughs) notice a dollar coming out of your account, really. I mean, it's just one of those things that just vanishes and... You can check your account from one minute to the next, and you'll never see that dollar leave. Okay, so but also let's talk about subscribing for fifteen dollars a month. That's our top level for just a dollar eighty-eight per show. In addition to the free Tuesday and Thursday shows, you get two post-mortem shows per week, plus the Friday after party every week, and my exclusive reading of the Steel dossier, which is also still up on our Patreon page. 
and we'll take out all the commercials from this show. So if you're subscribing at $15 a month, you're not hearing me say this right now, <laughs> which is really confusing. That's and- worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's only if you sign up at $15 a month. Just go to bobseska.com or click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at the top of the page. And please, by all means, tell your friends. The Bob Seska Show. The Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. Okay. Wait, before you get started, Jackie Schechner, fun fact. Okay. First concert I saw by choice was Huey Lewis in the News. Outstanding. Did they perform this song? Was it the sports store? Probably, yeah. Do, do you like Huey Lewis in the News? I thought he was dreamy when I was a child. <laughs> I was just doing a... Uh, uh, well, I would say by choice because my parents took me to the uh, Four Tops and Temptations. And as a kid, I mean, you know, it's talent. But as a kid, you're like, I don't know why I'm here. Wow. So Huey Lewis in the News was the first one that I went to by choice. Also, Patrick Bateman's favorite band, Huey Lewis in the News. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> but uh, of course... There you uh, go. Now I got to go to therapy. Thanks I, for that. I'm playing that song now because recreational marijuana is legal here. It is. Fantastic. I, I had this thought the other day that I, I, I went and got my card of like six months back. I haven't used it. And then I'm thinking like, you know, people who don't smoke a lot of pot aren't going to all of a sudden start smoking a lot of pot. Like, yeah, yeah it'll be easier to get. But I, I, I pretty much feel like people who smoke a lot of pot smoke a lot of pot. And people who don't smoke a lot of pot don't. Like, That's not, right. I, it wasn't that hard to get anyway. So I don't know. I, for one, hate marijuana. No, Wink. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a dispensary within walking distance of my house. Like Have I you could, been? Yeah, I could walk yeah. right now. I could grab like a like a big handful of, of marijuana. <laughs> Pay for a big handful. Is that how they dispense it? Like in hand? That's how they dispense it. Yes, you just it's like a grab bag. You yeah, just it's reach like the, in whatever you can carry out in your hand. That's <laughs> we're all a bunch of flaming liberals out here. That's, yeah, that's what we do. It's we like just, the you know. seize candy place at the mall. You just take those big scoopers and just scoop out a big handful of uh, like the saltwater yeah. toffee in the barrel. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> right. I could go. I could run down there and grab a big handful of marijuana, come back, and and we'd still be in the midst of the show. That's how close yes. it is. And it would be just as coherent. Yeah, right. But now, of course, the Justice Department and, and Jeff Sessions wants to, uh, or they actually already have uh, uh, rescinded this rule in which uh, the federal government can now go back to enforcing federal marijuana laws in the states, which... Uh, that's a great use of, uh, of federal dollars. Yeah. And a, a big uh, a big states' rights issue. You know, I'm, I'm all about the Republican Party and states' rights, right? <laughs> that's right. Jeff Sessions, a big states' rights guy. Except this. Oh, and except uh, abortion. And except, abortion, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff Sessions. You know, har- harshing our mellow is what he's doing. He seems like, yeah, he seems like a fun <laughs> dude you want to hang out with. <laughs> right. Uh, now, I got I to gotta give you this Manafort Stone thing. Cause I, okay, I, I let's just, do it. I think I, this is so fascinating to me. So I ended up catching the flu over the break, mm-hmm. which was fun for everybody, yeah. um, or some variation of head cold flu. Horrible. And I watched Get Me Roger Stone on Netflix, which if you haven't seen is really interesting because it's a lot of insight into documentary about Roger Stone. It's a lot of insight into the relationship between Stone and Manafort and Trump. And they're all cut from the same cloth, right? They're a bunch of just really like bad shady dudes yep. and it gives you a lot of insight into it talks about Roy, Roy Cohn and just I mean they're all just really bad guys like they're just they're, there's no morality there they just no. believe in money over everything yep. 
uh, money and winning and money and all that good stuff. Anyway, and if it, in fact, there's a feature of the uh, the Michael Wolf book where they're talking about how uh, where Steve Bannon t- discusses specifically why he's doing certain things in the Trump White House, and one of them being, oh, this is really going to make the liberals go crazy. And this is right. like, like the, what they do. This is all about uh, Roger Stone and, and the people who came before him. A, a significant right, so, portion of their strategy is to just drive liberals nuts. And that's what they... Well, also, yeah. I mean, Stone Stone and Trump have known each other for decades, right? Yeah. They've been together for years and years. He's been an advisor to him for years. And um, Manafort and Stone owned a, consult, a political consulting lobbying firm together in the 80s. They founded mm-hmm. it together in the 80s. So what's interesting is that Donald Trump and the Trump organization was a client of Manafort Stone, Black Manafort Stone, whatever the name of it was, right? He was a client of that firm in the 80s. So fast forward to the New York Times interview that came out over the break where he says, they ask him about Paul Manafort and Trump says, you're talking about stuff that Paul did long before I ever heard of him, mm-hmm. right? When they talk about the stuff that, that Paul Manafort was doing right. with regard to foreign entities. It's a lie. Well, that it's happened in the 2000s. Yeah. It happened, what, 10 years ago maybe? Mm-hmm. And then up until 2000, so 2005 to like 2014. Trump was a client of Paul Manafort in the 80s. <laughs> So when he says, before I ever heard of Paul, like, uh-huh. he knew Paul Manafort back in the 80s. On top of that, there's an interview with Manafort. And Manafort says it himself in this yeah. documentary. Then there's another interview with Manafort and another part of the interview with Manafort where they ask him if Roger Stone brought him into the Trump campaign. And he says Stone was one of a couple of people who recommended him. Now, we know Tom Barrick was one of the guys that brought Manafort in, but also Roger Stone. Then I spent maybe like five minutes later in the documentary, Chuck Todd asks Manafort if Stone brought him in, and Manafort says no. Hmm. So, you know, these guys are expert professional liars. Yeah, oh, And they have yeah. no problem lying through their teeth about everything. They don't even blink when it comes to the lies. Yeah. So just two things that came out is that, one, Trump's pretending he doesn't know Paul Manafort and he's known him since the 80s. And Roger Stone, even though he's not a part of this circle day to day anymore, is totally manipulating all of this behind the scenes. Yeah. He's still very much invested in Manafort. He's very much invested in Trump. He's the connector there. I wouldn't overlook that by any stretch. And we know that he had some sort of interaction with WikiLeaks and Assange. And so it's th- there's stuff that's still happening behind the scenes uh, that we're not paying as much attention to because... Michael Wolff and the book and Trump and Bannon and nuclear war and all this crap. Um, But it was another thread that I think it's important to hang on to as all of this unravels is the connection between Trump and Manafort that goes way back, like much farther back than Trump would have you believe. Yeah, and I I thought it was pretty much assumed back uh, in 2016 when Paul Manafort came on that it was a Roger Stone thing, that Roger Stone recommended Paul Manafort and and, then Trump having worked with Manafort before as well. Okay, and brought him in, and uh, and the same with Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway when Manafort stepped down or when Manafort left the campaign later in the summer uh, of that year, and and yeah, I mean he's a guy who's he's the Wizard of Oz, he's behind the curtain pulling all the levers and and making things go in a, in a lot of different ways, and uh, well, not to overstate his his power necessarily because there are other. 
other characters doing similar things. But yeah, Roger Stone is definitely one of the uh, the movers and shakers inside Trump world, and uh, and kind of a fixer, I would imagine. I think that's mm-hmm. a it's a good word to describe with Roger no Stone. morals or scruples. Yeah, exactly. Like, with absolutely no morals or scruples. Well, so, none, none of these guys have any morals or scruples. Everything becomes about winning and about uh, trolling. It's just there's there's yes. two dual things, and it's it's no longer about policy anymore. It's about how it's the win. How do I win? Exactly right. Exactly right. So let's uh, let's spin the slot machine of insanity. Reach over here, grab the lever, and see. Uh. Oh, there we go. All right. Here we go. Oh, Bannon versus Trump. Bannon versus Trump. So we're going to talk oh. about this. And, and you that's that's got to pay out. That's uh, got to pay out. <laughs> the Michael Wolf book, uh, Fire, Fire and Fury. Wow. Which, where do we start? Yeah. Uh, the book is called Fire and Fury, which calls to mind. Phil, Phil, Fire, fury, flour, and filth. And uh, so, okay, God, I mean, I need a separate pull of the slot machine of insanity just to uh, figure out where we begin with that. Let's uh, reach out. There we go. Boom. Let's see. Oh, okay. Let's start with the fact that uh, Michael Wolf has tapes. That came out Yeah, that's the newest revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Wolf has tapes of uh, some of his conversations and some of his actions inside the White House. Now, this is something that's getting kind of overlooked in the process of reporting this story, which is that Michael Wolf didn't just go around and talk to outside sources or maybe some inside the West Wing sources here and there. He was literally embedded in the West Wing and was lurking. Yeah, <laughs> just lurked and listened and under Trump's direct authority was allowed to do this. I mean, again, you have to underscore stupid, stupid, stupid Watergate. I mean, this is just stupidity from top to bottom and it's come to bite them in the ass. And so now they're confused that on one hand, they're saying, ah, it's fake news. On the other hand, they're trying to, I mean, Trump sent a, uh, Trump's lawyer sent a cease and desist order to, uh, to Bannon and to Michael Wolf and to Michael Wolf's publishers. Um, the Bannon side of this, uh, with the cease and desist order, Jackie, uh, makes me feel a bit vindicated because I've been saying for a while now that I think a lot of Trump's staffers, including perhaps some cabinet level secretaries, signed non-disclosure agreements with Donald Trump, even though that probably doesn't hold up in federal court when it comes to government employees, nevertheless, I think this would explain because now, because in addition to the cease and desist order, we're now hearing that uh, Steve Bannon did sign in, like a non-disparagement agreement with Donald Trump, and is now possibly in viol- violation of that agreement. Now, so you extrapolate well, that out, maybe some other characters inside the Trump White House, including maybe even Jeff Sessions, signed some non-disclosure agreement because another. I still can't explain why some of these guys were unable to answer questions in congressional testimony. Uh, yeah. Despite not having the 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 uh, the umbrella of uh, executive privilege guarding them, there was no executive privilege. So, what else could it be? And I think it might actually be that. Well, is it legally enforceable, especially if you're a public servant? I mean, I don't. I, I think don't know. if you run I, a private business, you you can you can have a non disclosure agreement, which may or may not be enforceable. But if you're a public servant, if you work in the administration, I don't think you can sign anything like that. You work for the American people. I mean, we pay your salary. Yeah. So you can't you can't sign any kind of non disclosure agreement or non disparaging agreement with the president of the United States because he's our employee yep. technically. Yeah, that's so right. I don't, I don't think that's legally. I mean, I, you know, I'm not again. I'm not a lawyer either, but I would. 
imagine that that's not legally binding. No. Um, and frankly, I mean, if you go ahead and sue, from what I understand, then there's depositions and disclosure and everything comes out in the wash then. Uh, so I can't imagine that Trump would, this is one of those like not going to follow through things yeah. because he just does this. Like they threaten legal action, they write <laughs> right. a bunch of nasty letters and then it never goes anywhere. Uh, he's just so um, stupid. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they're going to, first of all, they're not going to not publish the book. Uh, and second of all, it, it, Bannon's not going to shut up because Bannon doesn't shut up. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think there's any legal recourse here other than just bloviating. And, and I was watching on Twitter, people were like, yeah, you know, the Trump wanted to get more publicity for the book. He's doing an excellent job. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not doing anything to tamp this down. Well, right. And the season they're keeping dis- the story alive. Exactly right. The cease and desist order keeps the story alive and, in fact, adds more intrigue to it, drawing more eyeballs to it. And, and again, all of this works against Donald Trump because... Because they're really not, with the exception of Don Jr. on on Twitter yesterday, they're really Mm -hmm. not denying outright the story. They're kind of soft-pedaling that a little bit. And uh, and it's just the cease and desist order, which means that that it's possible that they're actually confirming some of these things are real. Um, and, and when yeah, and there's nothing in there that's entirely unbelievable. I mean, that's the crazy part about this, right? You yeah. read this book and there's so much sensationalistic stuff. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing in it. Is that even a word, sensationalistic? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. But I mean, you're right because... There's I, nothing that's unbelievable. I didn't read any of this and went, oh, really? I mean, it was just like, oh, yeah, of course we knew that. Yeah, that's what you we knew he didn't want to be president. I was a little surprised that he didn't want to win, but I definitely knew he didn't want to be president. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I called that months and months and months and months ago. Yeah. He didn't want to be president. He wanted, didn't want to do the job. I mean, why would he want to? And he's proven it because he goes golfing every weekend. Like, That's he doesn't right. want to do the job. He doesn't want to be president. He doesn't want any of this responsibility. Yeah. So that came out in the book, or at least the excerpts of the book, and that was abundantly clear. Yeah. I didn't realize he didn't want to win because I figured as a narcissist with a ginormous ego, the win would be important to him. I like think it was. Whether or not he won would be important. And the book says he wanted to lose because he wanted the benefit of of all of the gains of having run for president and gotten close. But I think his ego was too big for that. Yeah. Like he actually wanted to win. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think this was a Brewster's million. I don't think this was a Brewster's millions kind of thing where he was deliberately trying to lose. I think Trump mm. wanted to win. I think once they, once they got to October and after the access Hollywood tape, they pretty much assumed that they weren't going to win. And, and they, at that point they were looking for consolation prizes. Kellyanne Conway goes to cable news. This is Steve Bannon. Goes it's all kinds of cachet as far as being mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a, a an elder inside the Republican Party, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trump becomes right. a TV star, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Trump, starts his yeah, own Trump uh, network, Trump TV, yeah, be. right, all of that. Uh, but uh, you know, I think Steve Schmidt said yesterday that, and in agreement with you, Steve Schmidt said on Eleventh uh, Hour. Uh, last night that uh, that all of this stuff is basically just confirms kind of what we already knew Mm -hmm. about Donald Trump and and the operation of the Trump White House. Um, Some things that haven't been widely talked about out of the book, um, because I think by now we're all pretty familiar with the major revelations, but just a few things that haven't gotten as much coverage as I thought they would. First of all, there's this section about Hope Hicks, which is really creepy and disturbing. Hicks, this is the excerpt. Hicks sat in Trump Tower with Trump and his sons, worried about Corey Lewandowski's treatment in the press and wondering aloud how she might help him. Trump, who otherwise seemed to treat Hicks in a protective and even paternal way, looked up and said, why? You've already done enough for him. You're the best piece of tail he'll ever have. Sending Hicks running from the room. That is a that is an actual piece of this book. And if 
if Michael Wolf was sitting in on that and has, t- I want tapes of that. I want yeah, tapes I mean, of that, that right there. That begs especially. the question, was he in the room for that? Yeah. Um, and if not, then who would have given them that? I mean, that. the other thing, too, you have to keep in mind about Wolf, and I'm not super familiar with oh, his I work. Oh, I know. I know where you're going, yeah. Yeah, but he, he reportedly has a tendency to embellish and elaborate, and he's not... This is not like a straight journalist yeah. the way you know you might not get things verbatim the way you might expect if they're not direct quotes you don't know. I mean I I don't know and I don't want to disparage Michael Wolf because I I'm just not familiar enough but I'm a, I'm familiar with what's being said about his tendency to uh elaborate and embellish and so I I wonder if if he wasn't in the room and there wasn't a ta- who would have shared that information. Yeah. Um but it's not surprising. I mean, if it was said, it wouldn't be surprised. I mean, all of the things we know about how Trump feels about women, uh, that seems perfectly reasonable that that would be something that would come out of his mouth. And it sounds like a, st- a joke or some sort of sidebar remark that kind of tr- that Trump would make. That sounds like something. Well, we also that know that hope. Didn't Hope Hicks and Lewandowski have some big public fight on the street? In oh New yeah, York? they were having. They were sleeping together, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah, yeah I mean that's that, the rumor. That's, yeah, so I, but, I mean, you know Trump would have been pissed about that, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, now now here I just want to because you you brought up Michael Wolf's reputation, which is you know somewhat spotty, I would say, as far as his accuracy. Let let me read the how we got the story uh, sidebar from the yeah, uh, New York yeah. Magazine piece describing specifically how Michael Wolf attained his information. This story is adapted from Michael Wolf's book Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House, which is also I'm, I'm calling Florin Phil. Flarn, Flarn, Filth, and Fire and Fury. Uh, <laughs> to be published by Henry Holden Company on January 9th. Wolf, who chronicles the administration from, ele- from Election Day to this past October, conducted conversations and interviews over a period of 18 months with the president, most members of his senior staff, and many people to whom they, ter- they in turn spoke. Shortly after Trump's inauguration, Wolf says, he was able to take up, quote, something like a semi-permanent seat on a couch in the West Wing. Duh. Stupid, <laughs> stupid White House. And an idea encouraged by the president himself. Because no one was in a position to either officially approve or formally deny such access, Wolf became, quote, more a constant interloper than an, inv- an invited guest. There were no ground rules placed on his access, and he was required to make no promises about how he would report on what he witnessed. This sounds like he got permission, and then everyone forgot that he was there. Yeah. Especially Trump. The dysfunction in this White House seems to indicate that that's the case. Remarkable. Since then, he conducted more than 200 interviews. In true Trumpian fashion, the administration's lack of experience and disdain for political norms made for a hodgepodge of journalistic challenges. Information would be provided off the record or on deep background, then casually put on the record. Sources would fail to set any parameters in the use of a conversation or would provide accounts in in confidence only to subsequently share their views widely. And the president's own views, private as well as public, were constantly shared by others. The adaptation presented here offers a front row view of Trump's presidency from his improvised transition to his first months in the Oval Office. So that is kind of, that seems to me to be a little more thorough than, again, as I said, someone who was getting information from the outside. This guy was just the fly on the wall that we've all kind of been looking for, peering in on all of this. And and while I think we can safely assume that some of the things, some of the quotes are paraphrased and some of the uh, episodes are a little 
maybe dramatized a bit more. I think that's a good rule of, you know, kind of a rule to set yourself up with as you read these excerpts is to imagine imagine a dramatic adaptation put to film or something like that it's going to be heightened a bit for dramatic purposes but i think the basis and the, the nut of these stories uh actually uh, is are, are things that we not only guessed would be happening inside the white house but also have some uh, patina of truth to them so um so there's that there's this other uh, excerpt that very few people are, are really digging into uh, in lieu of discussing all of the Bannon stuff, this is another mm-hmm. this is another weird Trump thing. Trump liked to say this is directly from the book. Trump liked to say that one of the things that made life worth living was getting your friends' wives into bed. In pursuing a friend's wife, he would try to persuade the wife that her husband was perhaps not what she thought. Then he'd have his secretary ask the friend into his office. Once the friend arrived, Trump oh, would this en- is insane. Trump would engage in what was for him more or less constant sexual banter. Which the first thing I think of when I think of Trump talking about sexual banter, <laughs> that exactly. So constant sexual banter, uh, and this is in italics. So this is kind of paraphrased then. Do you still like having sex with your wife? How often? You must oh have had <laughs> you must have had a better fuck than your wife. Tell me about it. I have girls coming in from Los Angeles at three o'clock. We can go upstairs and have a great time. I promise. And paraphrase. And all the while, Trump would have his friend's wife on speakerphone listening in to the entire conversation. So Trump God. would try to entrap his friends in these sexual webs of his own concoction. This is a guy who clearly is a, you know, I keep saying he's a comic book supervillain in every sense of the imagination. He's trying to screw his friends. He's trying to screw the country. He, he, he even looks like a, like a comic book character, like a Dick Tracy villain or something like that with the hair. And the, that was the other thing we found out. We found out more details about what's going on on his head that he's got sort of just a ring of hair. He's got the, the strip of, uh, of hair plugs in the front and then completely bald on top, and then the strip of remaining hair around the sides. And then he takes all of that and grows it really long, like Gollum, and then swirls it around on top into whatever that hairstyle is. Apparently, according to this book, Ivanka likes to make fun of her dad's hair. (laughs) So we found out that, too. God, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Trump reportedly argued with the Secret Service over whether he could have a lock on his bedroom. Quote, the first time since the Kennedy White House that a presidential couple had maintained separate rooms, Wolf writes, and told housekeeping he would strip his own bed. This is weird Trump shit. This is weird OCD Trump shit. And told housekeeping he would strip his own bed and leave his shirts on the floor. Wolf also says the president, who is known for uh, (laughs) known to fear being poisoned, told no one told no one to touch his toothbrush. You know what? There's two things in here, right? I mean, (laughs) the first is like. Only people who do really weird shit have hangups about weird, really weird shit. Yes. Right? Like, I would never think... It's like cheaters who accuse others of cheating. Right? It's like, if yeah. it's not in your realm of possibility, you don't think it up. So somewhere along the way, he's had thoughts about this weird stuff happening to him. Right? The, the mm-hmm. crazy didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. 
The second part, I, I just the have crazy, to address this the sort crazy of crazy didn't come from nowhere I like that. Right. And then also this Melania <laughs> stuff, because I'm, you know, reading about how angry she was that he won and, yeah. you know, that she's she spent inauguration day pissed off at him and they sleep in separate bedrooms and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Dude, when you're the third wife, you know exactly what you're getting into. Right. I have zero empathy or zero sympathy for that woman. She yeah. knew what she was marrying. She saw two other women go through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe president wasn't on the agenda, but he's been threatening to run since 2000. Yeah. Uh, so she knew, I mean, either she hasn't been paying attention to the guy she married, uh, or she knew that this was a very real possibility that she could get sucked up into this. Oh, and. Yeah. You know, to be angry about it or to pretend that you have any moral ground, high ground to stand on is absurd. Yeah. And, and frankly, like, I got I got nothing for you, woman, because you, <laughs> you, know, you knew what you were marrying and, and you saw it, right? Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. not, she wasn't the first wife that was blindsided. Well, she we was have, the third and knew exactly what he was all about. He's been in the tabloid since he was in his 20s. Right, and, so she knew. And, and before we go to break, I just want to add, too, that Kimberly and I have been talking about this. Uh, Kimberly Johnson, who's on our, our after party and who I, I'm, I'm presently living with and sleeping with. We've been hypothesizing about these rumors that we've been hearing about how Melania. And again, I, I really want to underscore that these are all rumors. I have no factual basis for any of this crap. But we've heard that Melania was having an affair uh, prior to Election Day. And that when Trump lost the election, as everyone assumed that he would, she would divorce Trump and go and be with this other guy. But Trump and Melania had a side agreement between themselves that if he won, that she couldn't divorce him. And so when he won, it was crushing for Melania. And then we find out in this book that she was driven to tears on election night with the news, and not in a good way, uh, with the news that Trump actually won the thing. So so you can chew on that and put that into your own rumor mill. Uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there as to sort of a, a glimpse into what Melania's psychology might be right now. I mean, we know at the very least that she's living with this unmitigated monster. Uh, but again, as you said, Jackie, that's that was her decision. She, she's not like no one knew what uh, Donald Trump was all about. She certainly knew. And and I hope at least went in with uh, with eyes open. And there was one thing, one other thing uh, that I want to talk about. And we're going to do it after the break. The compare with this sheets, this bed sheets thing. It, it further uh, deepens my uh, metaphor that Trump is like one of these Elvis Presley type characters, one of these iconoclasts, one of these weird, quirky, bizarre celebrities like William Shatner or Larry King. They have these weird behaviors and offbeat personalities and so on. You know the kind I'm talking about. So they, with Trump, I think there's a direct Trump comparison to Elvis with the sheet thing. We'll do that right after uh, one last okay. break, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show right after these words. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items, too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, 
one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Bob Seska. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. Right, uh, coming up to the end of the show today. Uh, oh my God, I almost forgot to. Did mention. you see the breaking news? No, what is it? Did you see the breaking news? They're they're moving up the uh, they're moving up the release of the Michael Wolf book. You can buy it tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> awesome! Well, I, I know yep. what everyone's going to be doing tomorrow. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Okay, so I, I'm, I wanted to mention, too, I almost forgot to mention at the top of the show, or in the show at all, is that Travis Bone is back on the Stephanie Miller Show. Travis Bone, who... Uh, was- yes, it's very exciting. He actually, I mean, yeah, Travis and I have been friends for years, and oh, yeah. he actually let me know before it was officially announced. Yeah, me too. And he said, oh, good, okay. And he was like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but... <laughs> yeah, because it's back, <laughs> it's back to waking up at stupid o'clock for, for I Travis. Know, but the... you know what? It's a really good opportunity. Yeah, oh, and my it's, God, it's yeah. a com- It's a homecoming of sorts. And yeah. uh, Travis is fantastic. So it's a, it's a get for Stephanie, and it's a get for Travis. And I'm I'm super happy that they uh, they they get to work to, together again. Yeah, so. I totally agree. And, and uh, it's sad to see Vanessa Rumbles go, uh, but I, I'm so glad for not only I'm, I'm glad for the show. I'm glad for Stephanie that, that Travis is back. And it just, I think it brings back a, a degree of continuity to the show yeah. and, and yeah. A, a degree of, uh, of sort of classic personality of the, like the classic Stephanie Miller show lineup, yeah. which to, to me was uh, Lavoy, Travis, Jim Ward and Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And, and that mm-hmm. sort of that four piece and, and, uh, and Travis coming back really provides a, a, a return to that vibe. And it's really, it's also thrilling to know that there's going to be another tall nerd on on the show well, in, in addition go. to me because <laughs> right? it makes me me feel like i've got uh, better company with my nerd dumb so uh so there's that uh, that too so welcome back travis and, yes. and 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 good luck to you and and we'll talk to you every uh, wednesday uh, on the show um okay in the meanwhile i wanted to mention too that our uh, amazon link is back if you want to go shopping oh, at amazon thinking speaking of things that are back yeah oh my god what a what a drama this has been because my first amazon link got got terminated and we we, has, we saw all the controversy about that. Suffice to say, they allowed me to reapply. I reapplied, and they've confirmed the application, and everything is approved, and I we're, we're solid, and we're ready to go with an all-new Amazon link. And so that's at bobseska.com, just beneath the logo. Go in through our Amazon link and do all the shopping you want, and we get a small commission from everything you buy. It costs you nothing extra, and thank you for doing that. Okay, so I wanted to mention Elvis here. One Elvis, like old, fat, toward-the-end Elvis story that I always like to to, uh, or for some reason got embedded in my brain somehow. I can't remember what I did for breakfast this God, morning. God, I know so little about Elvis. So yeah. This is... Well, I mean, I love the old fat Elvis stories. <laughs> like, for example, he used to eat, like, he, for breakfast, he would eat five hot fudge sundaes and then just pass out in the bed. The other thing that he would do, and this is why, this Trump story about his bed sheets made me think of this Elvis story. One thing that Elvis would do in the later, later days, as we're talking about 75, 76, like, way deep into fat, sweaty, drug-addled Elvis, 
is that he and his uh, Memphis Mafia, his handlers, would create giant like diapers out of the hotel room bed sheets in Las Vegas, and then you know wrap the the big bed sheet around you know Elvis's area there around his midsection and so on, like a like a diaper, like a big sheet okay. diaper. And then they would once he would wake up in the morning, he would take the <laughs> big sheet diaper off, and then whoever Hamburger James and the Colonel and they all those guys would take the diaper them the the big bed sheet thing down to the dumpster themselves and either somehow dispose of it or burn it so that no hospital staff was aware of what these bed sheets were used for and i'm wondering why is trump so weird about stripping his own bed because that's what he did in this book it talks about how he demanded to the help at the White House in the residence that he strip his own bed. Are you insinuating that he's sweating the bed? I'm insinuating <laughs> that he's making a giant Elvis-sized diaper out of his White House bed sheets, and he doesn't want anyone seeing that he needs. I don't know. I'm just I'm making that up. But I mean, I, who knows? Yeah, I mean, who it, knows? Could, it could be possible. But you know what? It's, the way this White House leaks, yeah. and the way the way that people despise him. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, even let's say he's even got something like night sweats, right? Like, yeah. I mean, even something as innocuous as that, he drools on the pillow, whatever it is, right? I mean, yeah. even something like that, that would be totally normal, uh, could get <laughs> leaked and misconstrued. So he's probably so completely paranoid at this point yeah. uh, because everybody around him apparently hates him. See, uh, I, he's I trying choose, to keep himself protected. I choose to think that it's a giant sheet diaper I know you do. I know you do. I don't think it's. Who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, know. with what he eats, who knows what's going on there? <laughs> I'm excited for this not going to happen physical. By the way. Oh yeah, but yeah, that's going to be huge. I mean, that of course. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that might be our first real occasion to get a sense not only in terms of Trump's physical health but also his mental health because he's going to Walter Reed and he's going to have a an actual doctor examine him, though I still don't think it's actually going to happen. I think Yeah, you wrote that and I favorite it and like that and all that good stuff on social media. Cause I yeah. don't, I don't see how that's gonna happen. I don't think that if the results come out that he's not well. I mean, how is his cholesterol not through the roof? How is he not pre diabetic? How is he not I mean, I don't I don't see how his blood pressure isn't insane. I mean yeah. he's not a healthy looking guy. Unless uh, he's taking Lipitor or something, yeah, he's got to have. But they got to release that, right? They got to yeah. release that. That's what he's on. I mean, there's, there's not. They're not. A, he's not going to do it. And if he does do it, then they're not going to tell us. I mean, there's yeah. no way. Well, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm especially curious about his mental health condition because over the break, he was just a, a blitz of insanity coming from this guy and it was he tweeted a few things that i had to write about them because and i, I don't usually like to write entire articles about trump tweets but this was an occasion where we have to really ask ourselves is he is his burger sliding off of his bun is trump all still there i mean for example yeah, no. <laughs> on at, at almost seven o'clock at six fifty six p.m on christmas eve on christmas eve this is what Trump tweeted. 
People are proud to be saying Merry Christmas again. Yeah, as if no one was saying Merry Christmas until now, which is just completely obscene and uh, absurd. Yeah, I didn't get the memo. I was raised Jewish and didn't get the memo about not saying Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yes, of course. Everyone says Merry Christmas. This is a bullshit made up controversy. It it doesn't exist. It's in he and then he goes on to say, I am proud to have led the charge against the assault of our cherished and beautiful phrase Merry Christmas in all caps he writes with a bunch of exclamation marks so basically he's saying that he was responsible for defeating the invisible enemies of a holiday the war on christmas the war on christmas a completely made up war that that doesn't exist and that the the participants in are are totally invisible other than i got credit card bills that show that the war on christmas is failed (laughs) me too spent a lot of money on christmas so so yeah i i that's it's ridiculous and you know what i i will add this though so i i broached the subject with somebody over christmas i Mm -hmm. I won't say who but i I made a comment about the silly war on christmas and the person who is a trump voter said uh, i said you got to admit at least that nobody's stopping anyone from saying merry christmas right you got to at least admit that's a ridiculous one yeah and the person said, well, no, I mean, there are there were people that weren't allowed to say Merry Christmas. And mm-hmm. I said, who? And they said, department stores. They were told to stop saying Merry Christmas. They were not. So that was a thing. That was a re- that's a real thing. Like, they're, they're so entrenched in that reality yeah. that there actually was a concerted effort to stop people from saying Merry Christmas. I mean, I, I don't. I don't, I mean, I know where it came from, right? There was a, there was a, I think there was a Target uh, memo about expanding to say happy holidays or season's greetings Mm -hmm. so as not to offend people who celebrate something other than Christmas. Um, But that was back in 2005, I think. Yeah. Just don't. yeah, I mean, what they've done—they've extrapolated out to being that all liberals hate saying Merry Christmas, which is just insane. And then he's again, he's declaring victory and (laughs) and and saying that he was responsible for for winning the war on Christmas. Well, he also kept airlines safe. That's oh, that's that's exactly right too. That too. Uh, And then he said here on the 28th of December, he said, in the East, it could be the coldest New Year's Eve on record. Perhaps we could use a little bit of that good old global warming that our our country, but not other countries, was going to pay trillions of dollars to protect against. Bundle up, of course. So this is Trump saying that because it's cold in the East, that means it's cold on the entire globe. The, oh, the east is the east is not the globe, and that's not what the Paris Climate Accord was. Right. I mean, the whole idea is to try to reduce carbon emissions and to have a pact that all of the countries were going to start to do this on a timetable that was reasonable for the development of that country. I just, he has no grasp of anything complicated. He has no idea what was in the tax bill. He has no idea how healthcare works. He doesn't know anything about climate change. I mean, he's a, he's a a semi-functioning moron and we know this and you know, whether or not he's deteriorated into full on dementia is unclear, but that the book apparently does say that there were people that ran into him at Mar-a-Lago, longtime friends who he didn't recognize. Oh, my God. 
I mean, there yeah. was that sentence, which I found more frightening than most of what we've been leaked so far. Oh, right? yeah. The, the yeah. fact that he's not recognizing longtime associates or friends mm-hmm. is disturbing. And they do talk about him not knowing who Boehner is. And I will say that, you know, he may at one point have known who Boehner was, but it's not inconceivable that he forgot. he's since forgotten. Yeah. I thought, and you know what? It's funny you mentioned that because that's that was my exact takeaway. Not that he didn't know who John Boehner was, that he actually literally forgot it. It. it it blitzed out of his brain. He just like, it's a, possible. yeah, I mean, and that could be the consequence of many, many, many different problems that Donald Trump is suffering from. But of course, then we, not only is Donald Trump suffering from his problems, but we're all suffering from Donald mm-hmm. Trump's problems too, because now he tweeted, uh, two days ago, uh, on January 2nd, he said here, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the, quote, nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Then he said, will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime, Trump loves to refer to Kim Jong-un as having a regime. He says regime as almost as often as he says no collusion. He says this food-starved regime, please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful than his. Than his. Was he holding his penis in his hand when he tweeted that? I mean, yeah. I mean, clearly this is a dick measuring thing. And he says, oh, by the way, my button works. There is no button. No, there is no button. There is no button. Yeah, but again, here we go. The president of the United States using Twitter to foment nuclear confrontation. I mean, this is just... And here, here we are, an hour and fifteen minutes into the show, and and here's where we get to it. And it's not by any fault of of ours. This is just the way everything is going. I mean, and again, thank God for the uh, the slot machine of insanity. Pulling it there, and and right, we get all the way to ah, nuclear war, nuclear war, nuclear Armageddon. There it is, pay it out in in mushroom clouds. Um, and, and so and. You would think that this this would be the biggest story in the world for like at least a few weeks. I mean, the president tweeting about nuclear war with North Korea as a, you know, yeah, in this flippant, stupid Trump way. It's so I don't even know how to put this into words. The fact that this ought to be much more urgent, but of course, because of all the other things it all gets it gets pushed down i mean it just the 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 memory hole has a very short uh uh statute of limitations i think yeah, <laughs> it's but only I been a couple think, of days i also think there's a sense that he's like you know the, the, the i mean i have this visual image of him sitting like at a little baby desk in a the kindergarten class right yeah, like it's right. like never mind him he's He's that kid, you know, like he's just not like people are like, I can't even take this shit seriously anymore. Yeah. Well, Kate Walsh, the uh, former uh, deputy chief of staff inside the White House, said that talking to Trump is like talking to a child. Trying not to get surprising. A, trying to get a child to understand things. This is the former Trump appointed deputy chief of staff. Deputy chief of staff, a very, very important. The Josh Lyman, if you're a fan of the West Wing. Josh Lyman was the deputy chief of staff. That was the degree of power that Kate Walsh, Walsh held and was able to observe that Donald Trump, talking to Donald Trump is like talking, trying to trying to get a child to do something. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's a, that's a Trump insider. <laughs> no <laughs> fake news here, no liberal media here. That was a quote. That was a quote. And I'm sure there are tapes. Lordy, let's see the tapes. 
Okay, so we're way long. I think this is the longest free show we've ever done in recent memory. Uh, but So as a consequence, we're going to make the uh, post-mortem show really brief. So we're see if we can keep it to five or ten minutes at the very, Whoa. very most. Because, Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, that's, of course, coming up next. Sign up at our Patreon page. You can get to our Patreon page by going to bobseska.com just beneath the logo, right next to our Amazon link. You'll find the all-caps link to Patreon. And once you're there, you can subscribe at different levels, and those different levels will get you different levels of bonus content for the show, whether it's the post-mortem show, which we record seamlessly after this, or the after-party, which we do on Fridays, like pop culture and all kinds of fun stuff that happens there. Or you can get a, a commercial-free version of this show, plus a lot uh, of bonus extras, including our roundtable discussion about the new Star Wars movie, which we recorded at the end of the... Uh, at the end of uh, 2017, right before the break, with my friends uh, Josh Dobbin and, and, of course, Mark Ronick from the Realm Network. It is a nerd bonanza, if you want to go listen to our Star Wars review of The Last Jedi. All right, that's it for the show. Jackie Schechner can be found at InvestigateRussia.org and at Jackie Schechner on, on Twitter. Thank you, Jackie. We'll see you on the Postmortem Show. You got it. Bye-bye.